When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find a seed. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hacker Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. He's nice to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. So, Sean, how are you doing, bud? I'm doing good. It's uh, another fun day in the commodity markets. So, Never a dull moment, right, Sean? Never a dull moment, especially when you're coming to the month end and the quarter end. There's always a lot of yep. capital flow shenanigans that always take place. And so we can expect a lot of rope and dopes back and forth as um, – as we approach the uh, that end and set the beginning of the next quarter, so it'd be, uh, be interesting to see what opportunities develop here. Yeah. So we've had we're, we're in a weather market now. There's no like talking about it or whatever. We're in a full blown weather market. You look at drop maps, and the drop map has has stretched over past the corn belt, the typical corn belt, over into um, the eastern part of the United States. You start looking at New York, Pennsylvania. Um, up in that kind of upper New York um, agricultural belt that's up there. And you start seeing that this, this drought is starting to get bigger and more widespread than it was um, even even two months ago. Um, you start looking at the extreme drought areas in central Kansas, Missouri. Um, that's starting, or central Kansas and, and central Nebraska, sorry. And you start looking at where that's creeping towards 
the uh, Nebraska Iowa um, uh, state line there. Um, it's growing. I guess Sean, as you look at this, uh, you put a report out uh, a day or two ago, I think Monday maybe, that had basically you said, "Hey, we don't see really big difference in the weather patterns that we're going to see right now moving forward." But you know, we're still waiting for that heat to get here. So I guess talk a little bit about the situation you're seeing right now, Sean. I mean, there's not a whole lot of examples of major, major crop problems. What I mean by a major crop problem, corn yields down 20% below trend or more. 2012, 80, 83, 56. So there's just no example of that happening without heat coming in during pollination. If it's if the dry pattern continues into July as we think it's probably going to, and it stays cool, it doesn't mean a fantastic crop at all. Right. But I don't think we get 20% down below trend. It's probably going to be something closer to like 10% below trend. Right. Terrible crop. I mean, we'd be that's talking like something in the mid-160s. You know, that would be very, very poor versus the 181 that everyone thought was in the bag in mid in mid-May. Um, but there's a very big difference. Because right now, remember, we're in a fairly weak demand environment. The hog industry is under tremendous uh, financial distress. The dairy industry is under tremendous financial distress. There's not a lot of uh, beef cows to feed right now because those animal feeding units are so small. We know African swine fever is you know, causing issues with demand for feed from China. We know that uh, energy prices are weak, which means ethanol demand um, is you know, not as robust as it could be. And then the EPA just came out and said, you know, we're abandoning uh, the renewable diesel situation and we're really not going to mandate any new growth over the next three years. So all this excitement that everybody had about all this dramatic growth in renewable diesel was all predicated on them mandating substantial increases because without the mandates at current energy prices, nobody's profitable. So when I look at all that, you know, to overcome that demand issue and to say that we're going to make headway much beyond, let's say, six and a half to seven dollar corn, I don't I, I don't think we can do that if it's 10 percent down. I think six and a half, seven, you know, somewhere in there is probably the top side best case scenario if, if, if it stays cool and dry. Now, if it gets hot and dry and then you put on potential for a major crop problem and you're down 20% from the trend, you know, now you can get yourself substantially, you know, above that level. So that's really important to me, obviously looking for a change in the moisture patterns is important, obviously, but I don't think the moisture patterns are going to change substantially in the month of July. Um, for the majority of pollination, it looks like the pattern we have is pretty solid and I think it's going to stay pretty much the way it is. The real key is, can we get heat? The two things that we highlight to our subscribers and we've talked about on your show, one is global angular momentum. Um, in 2012, we had a negative global angular momentum, which means very, very low, um, uh, quiet winds in the stratosphere. That's a hot signature. We've had a positive global angular momentum the entire growing season, and hence we've had a cool summer up to this point. In fact, I think June was the second coolest June we've had since 2000 in terms of summertime growing temperatures in the Midwest. Um, it does not look like at this time we are going to get global angular momentum to move 
into neutral negative territory and give us that hot signature. So it, it you know, it could, this this metric can change in a hurry, but right now, as of today, that metric is not, we're not able to check that box off. The other teleconnection that can bring heat into the Midwest is very, very hot North Atlantic sea surface temperatures. As of today, they've reached plus 1.2 degrees C above normal in the North Atlantic. That is uh, going back to 1950, that is the highest reading we've ever had, going back to 1950. I believe 1.1 was the prior highest reading we've ever seen. In 2012, we had very, very warm, not that warm, but we had very warm North Atlantic. Uh, now, what, the, what, what that teleconnection can do, Casey, is it can take and build heat in the south, in Texas, in the deep south, and it can... Uh, help bring or uh, migrate that heat north into the Midwest. So that is on the table. And so what we're, so right now we know we have some very, very hot temperatures in Texas. Some, you know, when you look at yeah, the color scenario, purple temperatures, yeah. hungry, really, yeah. really hot. Um, so it looks like we're establishing, okay, that teleconnection, that North Atlantic, we're establishing a hot Texas deep south scenario can we see that move up, meaning migrate up into the Midwest in time to catch pollination? Our calculations suggest that by July 15, 50% of the core grain belt will either be completing pollination, in the middle of pollination, or starting pollination. So if we're really going to deliver a lethal blow of high heat and depleted subsoil moisture, we really need to have this heat come in no later than July 15th, no, that, that, that week right in there. Right. If it comes in later than that, it doesn't mean it can't clip the crop, but you lose your ability to really stunt the pollination <clears> process. <throat> so the way we're looking at it, the, that is that to me is, you know, the essential um, uh, uh, aspect to watch is can we get that heat to migrate north? The models have been playing around with this. Some, some days they say it's going to, and then they pull it back. You know, we're not, we're not getting a clear signal on that, but it that's how we get the heat coming in. The only other thing to watch, and I know you know you know this, and I'm sure probably others know this, but you always got to watch tropical systems in the Gulf of Mexico, and you're going to watch tropical systems off of southwest Mexico. Either one can bring tropical moisture temporarily in to the Midwest and override a drought pattern. Um, and, and, and many, many a drought in July have been broken by tropical systems that out of nowhere, just come on in, provide some serious rains, go away. The drought pattern comes back, but the damage has been done. The rains came, saved the day. You know, we don't see that right now in the Gulf. Um, it's possible. We're seeing a couple of, Southwest uh, cyclones developing uh, off of Mexican coast next week that we're going to have to watch closely to see which way they migrate and which and and how, where they filter in. Right now, that would be the place to watch for next week to see if we get some some you know filtering in on these uh, Southwest coast Mexican cyclones that could filter some moisture in and override this pretty solid stable drought pattern it's a long shot at this point i'm not i'm not sitting here saying that 
you know, you know, this looks like it's going to, I mean, it's a outlier possibility, but it's, this possibility is not zero. Okay. And, and, and essentially uh, Casey, that's what you look for when you have an established drought, you have an historic dry pattern in the month of July. These are the factors that we're watching. And obviously we have three weeks for either a cyclone moisture to save the day or for this Texas heat to migrate north. And obviously we're going to do our very best on your show and with our subscribers to try to uh, get as early read on whether one is, anything's going to happen here to make a significant change um, in the cool dry pattern that we currently have. And so that's kind of the, the, the signpost and the pathway forward heading into mid late July that's going to determine exactly what the size of the corn crop is and exactly what's the correct price to effectively ration demand against supply. Right on. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> let's jump back and talk about one thing you talked about in there. And I, I, we're seeing a lot of evidence in this as we look at, at world demand and, and what that looks like. Brazil has a, a massive crop. We all know that. And, and you know, China's buying it and doing all the fun stuff they're doing, but they're not buying as much as they have in the past. And simply because of, of the, where demand is, and it's not there. I guess, Sean, as you're looking at, you talked about depleted cattle herd, uh, the, the, uh, struggles in the, the dairy market hogs um, all the stuff everything's kind of stacked against demand right now i guess as you look at that what, do you see any alleviation e even if we hit this drought situation that we're in right now and it continues through do you see do you see it having the same effect on price that we saw in 2012 with with all the lack of demand that we're seeing right now well, we had a lot of lack of demand in 2012. Remember, in 2012, we had come off the 2010-11 surge in corn prices, for example. I mean, so we right. had huge uh, demand destruction. So remember, we crashed and burned into the spring, just like this year, because um, we got off to a great planting start. Everybody thought the crop's going to be massive. Sound familiar? You know, yeah. and then all of a sudden... You know, the drought took place and then the heat came in and we were down, you know, greater than 20% below trend. If we're down 20% below trend, I do think we can temporarily, and I mean temporarily, uh, you know, have a shot at reaching similar price levels on a short-term basis despite the weak demand. But it's going to have a very short fuse. There's a crash coming on the other side of this because if we already have weak demand and we goose prices to 7 or $8, Casey, you're not going to do anything but hurt demand even further. And El Nino is coming. And the El Nino weather pattern that everyone thought was going to take place in 2000, uh, take place here in the U.S. is next year. The El Nino weather pattern for South America is what they're going to is the planting season that's going to start here in the fall, their spring. Big crops are coming. So if you looked at what happened in 2012, we had a big shot up. I think we traded eight and a quarter, I believe was the around the high that we traded in mid-August to early September. And then it was complete crash all the way down to like the lows the following growing season. Um, if you looked at what happened in 88, a complete crash after the drought was over into lows in the following growing season. 83, a complete crash going in to the growing season the following season i mean this is a there's a there's a pretty distinct pattern here of what happens when you have a major drought at a time of already weak demand 
it's a quick shot. Um, and then, and, and, and then of course, if you pump, what, what do you think Brazil is going to do if we goose corn and soybean prices up just as they're getting ready to plant the crop, they're going to mow down the rest of the Amazon and plant the rest of it. I'm, I'm being right. facetious, but you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, sure. Sure. Um, so, so this is not a bull market. I want to be very clear. And I have been clear. This is not like what we had in 2020. We're looking for a one, two multi-year uptrending market. This is a weather driven spike trade, short, sweet to the point, but the long-term trend is down into the spring, into the summer, fall of 24. Um, and I want everyone to, and all those producers out there to understand and emphasize that this, this is an opportunity to sell not only what you think you're going to produce, and that's always the rub, right? How much are you going to have? Are you going to have a half a crop? Are you in the place in Illinois that's going to have half a crop? Or I understand that, but you absolutely want to go out and sell 24. You know, we're never big on selling the following year's crop too often, but in times like this, we made that recommendation in 2012. We made that recommendation in 2008, and that is a recommendation that we we might <clears throat> we might be making here fairly quickly, so that producers can get a good price for next year as we then have the big crop, the 181, the 185. That just you know we finally put it all together and create you know the big surplus on top of South America doing the same thing. So I think that's really important to understand the difference between a bull market and a weather-driven extreme spike trade. Right now, we're in the midst, as you correctly pointed out, we're in the midst of, of a weather market. And we're just trying to determine, are we near the end of it? Is this six and a half dollar area, give or take, six and three quarters, is that is that the upper end if it stays cool and dry? Or are we going to put the heat in and take us a whole nother notch higher? That's the difference between you know eight to ten percent below trend and eighteen to twenty percent below trend. Is that the difference between six and a half, seven, or something north of let's say eight dollars? Something we've done several times before. I don't know for sure. Nobody does, but I'm telling everyone on the on your program what to look for. Look for models to show Texas heat migrating north. If it does. And, and, and it's got to do it by the week of July 15th. If it does, then we are moving down a major crop problem, 2012 style, potential Gleisberg style kind of drought. Remember now, Gleisberg cycle that we've talked about before, this 89-year cycle is a three-year window of potential severe drought. We said that the two years that are mo were most at risk was 2023. In 2025, 2024 is off the table because it's an El Nino year. The transition to El Nino, we said, was largely going to be a more of a neutral pattern, and it would open up the concept of having a possible Gleisberg cycle drought. And certainly, you know, where we could have that if the heat comes in. If the heat doesn't come in, we'll fall just a little bit short. But if we look at the cycle, Casey, this El Nino is not going to last long. It's going to rise very, it's going to rise and peak sometime late in the fourth quarter. And then we're going to come crashing down. And by the time we get to the fall and fourth quarter of 2024, we're going to be back to neutral to territory to potentially a weak La Nina. And 2025, according to our long-term analog cycle work, is going to be a, a shorter duration, weak La Nina year. Now, we know La Ninas are always hot. We don't have to worry about heat in a La Nina year. 
And we know La, La, La Nina years is one of the preconditions of having the Gleisberg cycle. You know, remember we always talk about it has to be neutral or neutral, you know, or, or La Nina, but it can't be El Nino. So uh, we would think that, that regardless of how this all plays out, we clearly are in an elevated risk year, but 25, well, I guess what I'm getting, we're not done with the Gleisberg cycle. Even if this delivers, we could still see a drought of equal um, gravity or even worse in 2025, like we saw in the Dust Bowl when we had 34 and 36, 34 turned out to be the worst year, but 36 was was a close second. I think we could be looking at the same thing where maybe, maybe 23 just, just comes up a little bit short, but maybe 25 is the much more impactful uh, crop problem drought. But yeah. you know, just these are the things that as your long-term planning as a producer, as your long-term planning as a livestock producer, you really need to set this template in your mind so that you know when things are likely to occur, when you should be looking at locking in feed, when you should be making sales and managing what's going to be a very amplified volatile period for grain prices and for livestock prices. So that's, you know, that's our best short duration outlook for July. And that's our best long-term duration outlook for what we feel ag producers need to be considering. Right on. Okay. All right. One more question here, Sean, as you take a look at the protein markets, the hog market had a very slight abbreviation of the uh, prop 12 thing in California. They pushed it back six months, which I don't know if that is a, a precursor to typical California stuff where they, you know, they look at something and they realize they made a mistake and instead of not doing it, they just keep pushing the, the date back further and further. Uh, you take a look at the cattle market, cash prices are struggling, um, but they're still seeing some pretty strong sales um, at the, uh, at the, at the uh, auctions there. So I guess looking at the protein markets, what are your thoughts there? Just kind of a overview of that in a little bit. Well, I mean, cattle's, cattle's getting a bounce because of this uh, uh, epiphany from California that maybe they should give it a little bit of time to figure right. this out. Um, and that's good. I mean, producers need some better prices. I mean, they got down to record low negative margins of all time at the lows. Um, obviously, we are seeing some switch of demand finally to uh, very, very undervalued and uh, you know pork prices relative to beef prices. Um, so, so, so that's helping. But I really, beyond this bounce that we've gotten, and we're thankful that producers are getting a little, a little bit of a better go of it. We really don't see the ability to turn this around um, without the Chinese getting into their uh, shortage cycle post ASF later on this year. Uh, meaning that the first thing you need to look for is you need to look for the hog price in China to start taking off, suggesting that the herd liquidation there is over, that the massive processing of animals into excessive pork supplies is done, and that we are moving into the herd rebuilding phase, which means that all that now you hold all these animals back and we get into a serious pork shortage. And then China then begins to need and want lots and lots of pork from the outside, bringing in ahead of their holiday season in January and February, where they consume the most pork seasonally throughout their calendar year. Um, so, so while this bounce is nice, I don't feel that this is a major turning point for hogs. I think it's a, initial turning point, but I don't really see a, 
a, a trending market or, or more of a bullish market until we get later on into the summer and the fall. And we really see the clear signs that the China shortage is developing and they are going to come in and really buy a lot of our pork um, at a time that uh, our supplies are going to be pulling back because of the terrible margins we've had. Animals are going to be down, weights are going to be down and such forth and so on. And these higher prices that we're starting to get for feed don't help that better. So, so it, it's a good start, but I, I, I would caution those in the hog industry not to get uh, too excited yet. I think it's more, it's going to be kind of two steps forward, one step back before we can go four steps forward and one step back. I don't think we're quite there yet. Cattle prices just got too high. Uh, the beef price got too high. You know, the drought means liquidating animals. The high prices of feed that are starting to go up mean you want to you liquidate the animals instead of feeding them more. As much as the animals are already low, there's always opportunities to liquidate more if you're losing money. So it's a short-term knockdown. Uh, we've been anticipating it. Uh, we think it could last into the latter part of the summer, early fall. But if you heard liquidate even more, Casey, it just means even that much less you know, going into 24. So it doesn't solve the, the cattle shortage problem. It just kicks the can down the road a little bit and creates a more severe shortage later on as we get into 24. So my, you know, I, we've been suggesting that our livestock producers protect downside in cattle into late summer, fall, and, um, and then just get geared up for what could be a pretty exciting 2024 for, uh, for pricing here in the cattle and dairy. You know, I think dairy is, is kind of a similar, um, story to, to, to the pork, uh, to the hog price in terms of margins have been historically negative. Chinese demand for milk powder has been down or low, but as the protein shortage develops, they don't just buy pork, they buy pork, they buy chicken, they buy fish, they buy milk, anything that's got protein with a P attached, they're going to buy it. Um, and so that really should help the, the dairy industry later in the year. And of course, these terrible prices, the high cold cow prices that are for are, are allowing producers to sell off their less productive cow dairy cows to raise capital to survive is going to lower the herd globally and in the U.S. and lower production later this year. So, so I, I think if we're looking at the pathway, hogs and dairy are probably on a very similar track where we might you know, we're starting to see a balance in both. Um, but a little early, whereas the cattle is just in corrective mode and it's just kind of you know because of the different cycles at the rim, the risk off cycle. Overall, though, I'm pretty positive about a very good 2024 for all three. Right on. Okay. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what's going on over at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our uh, website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Our uh, Twitter page is at Faradex11. And, of course, we have a uh, our LinkedIn page as well. We tend uh, you know, from time to time put interviews up there like we just did this morning on an interview we did last night regarding uh, U.S. drought and some of our longer term weather outlooks for India and such forth and so on. And then, you know, it's not, we don't, we don't post habitually, but we do oftentimes put some stuff out there that, that gives some of our long-term work so you can keep abreast of what we're seeing and, and how you should be uh, potentially thinking about how to market your, uh, your crops and 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 manage your your agricultural operations. Right on. Okay. Well, Sean, appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast, man. Thanks, Casey. Always a blast.
Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the video version of this over on the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related and eat all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. Be one of the first 150 people to sign up and you'll get a $50 discount from the folks at Axon. That is filling up quick. So if you want to take advantage of that, Make sure you do that ASAP. So uh, with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Smooth smart folks. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's IronComps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardware.